And I have to follow that. Like, yeah, we always have to get up after the cute, funny kid video and try and say something. But I'll tell you what, if you're one of those people that struggles to get into the Christmas spirit, and I'm not talking about those of you that put your Christmas lights up in July, because we know that we have some of those here, so it's not you. But if you're like me, and if you struggle with the Christmas spirit at all, I'll just say this. You need to get around some kids a little more often, right? Because our kids do a good job of reminding us about Christmas. They do a good job of teaching us about Christmas because what kid doesn't love Christmas? I mean, every kid loves the anticipation of the presents to the Christmas movies, to cookies and parties and times with your friends. Just, I know we've got some kids in the room, so kids, I need some help from you for just a moment, but just by a show of hands, uh, how many of you have a lot of decorations up around your house right now? Kids, let me just see your hands. How many of you got a lot of decorations up? All right, good, good representation. All right, how about Christmas lights? Christmas lights outside, all right, good, good. How, how many of you have a really big Christmas tree somewhere in the house? All right, lots of Christmas trees. And then one more for you. Okay, answer this for me. How many of you have a nativity scene set up somewhere in your house? All right, a lot of you do. Okay, we have two nativity scenes set up in our house. We have one in our, our front room. Uh, here's a picture of it. It sits on our piano in the front room. Uh, maybe you've got one like this. It's kind of a popular Christmas nativity scene. And so uh, th- this is in our front room. But we have a second in our front room that might be, uh, well, it's a little more unique. And this is a, a Christmas nativity scene that's pretty special to us. It was given to us by some of our closest friends. They got to go to Africa Uh, the country of Tanzania a few years ago. And so this is a handmade set. And uh, the thing that I love about it is it's very unique to the African culture. And there are probably a lot of things in here that I don't understand. Uh, But if you were from that particular culture, uh, they would have a lot of significance uh, for you. And um, I did a little exploring, though, on Google the other day. I wanted to see just there, there's got to be all sorts of different nativity sets out there. And uh, I found some different examples. Maybe you've got a nativity set like this in, in your house. Uh, you might be surprised to know that Ken and Barbie uh, ha- have a nativity set, which I think is okay, except for the finely tailored clothes that both Ken and, and Barbie are, are, are fashioning there uh, in this particular nativity. Uh, and then there's this do-it-yourself version nativity set that uh, is just kind of strange and and inappropriate, maybe for a number of different reasons, one being the use of pork products, which I think in Old Testament times was really a big no-no. But then there's this one, and if uh, you're a minimalist, I mean, maybe you'll love a nativity like this, or if you've got a fond appreciation for right angles, uh, this nativity set... And then finally, this modern-day rendition that uh, has the Amazon guys delivering packages on Segways. There's the 100% organic cow. And then, of course, Mary and Joseph getting a selfie with the baby Jesus uh, at at the place uh, of his birth. Now, these are cute and funny for a number of different reasons. They all kind of include the basics. You know, you've got the mom and dad. You've got the baby. You've got the shepherds. You've got the wise men. You've got some animals. But would you believe me? If I told you that there was one character uh, that needs to be present in order, at least one character, for the nativity to be biblically accurate. And the problem, though, is that when you add this character to the nativity, it kind of ruins the whole away in the manger vibe. How many of you have seen a nativity like this one before? And I'll give you a second to notice the red dragon at the feet of the baby Jesus 
which just looks to be a little bit out of place. Now, interestingly, he came up in the video just a moment ago. We had the kid wearing the dragon outfit, and, but he seems to be a little out of place in the nativity. Well, believe it or not, according to Revelation chapter 12, there was a big red dragon looming in the background on that first Christmas almost 2,000 years ago. And just in case you're wondering, he didn't come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. No, he came with nothing but evil intentions. Um, Open your Bible. If you've got a Bible with you tonight and you want to follow along with us, open to Revelation chapter 12. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, you can turn there. Um, I do want to say this. We've got a table with some Bibles in the back of the room. If you don't have one and you'd like to have one, it's our gift to you before you leave tonight. So just grab one of those uh, on the way out. But I want to to open to Revelation chapter 12. I know some of you are already thinking, why in the world are we talking about dragons on Christmas Eve? Well, let me help you understand. In case you're new with us, as we've mentioned a couple of times already, uh, in January of this year, we set out as a church family to read through the Bible from cover to cover in 2021, and we've taken time to talk about what we've been reading on on Sundays and in the room here. And so far, we've covered, give or take, about 65 of the 66 books in the Bible, which means we have to finish with Revelation. I mean, this is our last time together, so we got to do it. We got to finish with the book of Revelation. And just in case you're not familiar, if you've ever read the book of Revelation before, for, it's a doozy. I mean, it really is. It's full of all sorts of apocalyptic literature, which is just a fancy way of saying that it foretells of supernaturally inspired and cataclysmic events that will transpire at the end of the world, which is what we're discussing tonight. Merry cataclysmic Christmas, everyone. All right, again, welcome to Genesis Church. But, uh, but seriously, like, why in the world are we looking at an apocalyptic book at Christmas? Well, when we think of the Christmas story, we tend to think of Old Testament prophecies, right, about a virgin giving birth to a baby boy in the town of Bethlehem. And then when you switch over to the New Testament, like in the Gospel of Luke, we read about Jesus' birth uh, to a young teenage girl by the name of Mary and a group of shepherds and later the wise men that show up to celebrate this new baby as God's promised Messiah. And many of us know some of that story, right? We could all kind of piece together different parts, different elements of the story. Well, Matthew's Gospel, first book of the New Testament, records another story that takes place after the birth of Jesus, after the wise men left Bethlehem. And honestly, Matthew's story isn't very heartwarming. It's actually pretty terrifying. Let me read a portion of it for you. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Here's what Matthew records about this event. It says, when they had gone, and he's talking about the wise men here, the magi, as they've left to go back to their home. He writes, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod, who was the leader around Israel at the time, is going to search for the child to kill him. So so he got up, Joseph and Mary, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left. They escaped for Egypt. Can you imagine? Like, how could anyone be so evil as to command the slaughter of the innocent children in Bethlehem. Like, can you imagine being one of those parents or one of those grandparents and all of the sad funerals and the memories for generations to come? It's horrible to think about. But according to Matthew, that's what happened in the town of Bethlehem, the community of Bethlehem, shortly after Jesus was born. Now, I want to take you to a similar scene that's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 12. And the book of Revelation, just real quick here, the book of Revelation was a revelation or a vision 
that, that Jesus gave to a guy by the name of John who happened to be one of Jesus' closest followers when, John, when Jesus walked on the earth. And so in Revelation 12, here's what's happening. John is kind of pulling back the curtain for us, this curtain that divides the physical, which we see and experience every day with our own eyes, but also a spiritual realm or spiritual dimension that's happening the same time to help reveal a particular moment in history that sounds very similar to the story we read, just read in Matthew chapter 2. Let me read portion for you. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Again, here's the vision that John received of what was happening in this spiritual realm. He writes, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment that he was born. If you were going to choose a fitting Christmas carol to describe this moment, chances are you're not going to choose Silent Night, Holy Night, are you? I mean, I think R.E.M. song, It's the End of the World as We Know It, would be a more fitting Christmas carol for this particular event. But what's up with the dragon? Like, are we to assume that John has just had a little too much eggnog or something? Like, what's going on here with John and this dragon? Or or is it possible that this dragon sighting in Revelation 12 might have something to do with the Christmas story we read earlier in Matthew 2? Well, to find out, I want to walk through just a few verses for a few minutes with you in Revelation chapter 12. So let's go back to Revelation 12 in in verse 1 for just a moment. Again, John writes, a great sign appeared in heaven. We've got a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Well, to start then, as you can see, John notes this great sign that appeared in heaven. Now, you could replace the word sign with vision or, or symbol, and there are a lot of visions and a lot of symbols, a lot of signs in the book of Revelation. But what we see here first is this first sign. It's a great sign, which we'll come back to in just a moment, but this great sign or symbol John saw was a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, all right, under her feet, and crown of 12 stars on her head. And if you keep reading, we learn, right, that she's pregnant and that she's about to give birth. Now, at first glance, you and I would assume that this pregnant woman is Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? I mean, it just kind of seems to go together. But remember, John describes this woman as being clothed like a queen and wearing a crown on her head, which doesn't at all sound like Jesus' earthly mother because she was a poor peasant. So again, what's going on here? Well, throughout the Old Testament, And if you read through the Old Testament this past year, maybe you caught up on this. But the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is often referred to as the wife or the bride of God. And the Old Testament prophets predicted that God's Messiah would be born out of the nation of Israel. So from an Old Testament perspective, the pregnant woman in Revelation chapter 12 is referring to the faithful community of Israel who had been waiting for God to send his promised son and Messiah through the bloodline of King David. Now, from a New Testament perspective, Matthew and Luke are two that tell us that Jesus' earthly mother Mary was a virgin daughter of Israel who miraculously gave birth to a child that would be the hope of the world. And in case you're wondering then what all the language then about the woman being clothed with the sun, having a crown on her head is, it's not telling us that Mary was the queen of heaven and earth 
Though it's a picture of the divine work of God that is at place, taking place in the virgin birth of Jesus. In fact, some scholars will say that it's a fitting description and a reminder that the birth of Jesus caused the entire universe to pause and take note of what was happening. Now, what about the dragon? Look at John's words again, verse 3. He says, another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. It says, the dragon stood in front of the woman. Remember the image from the nativity a second ago? Who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Now, again, there's a lot of symbolism in this verse, but the most important thing for us to note is that the dragon was enormous and standing by the woman waiting to devour her baby. And if you keep reading on down to verse 9, John tells us exactly who the dragon is. He says in verse 9, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. What's his name? Who is he? He's referring to the devil. All right, this red dragon is the devil, it's Satan. And what's his mission? This is very important. His mission is to lead the whole world astray, to bring chaos, to bring things like division and wickedness and the hopes of bringing as much destruction on the earth as possible. And just in case you're wondering, Jesus didn't have anything nice to say about Satan, describing him as the father of lies, the evil one whose primary objective is to steal, kill, and destroy. The apostle Peter describes Satan as like a prowling lion, always out and about looking for someone to devour. There's that word devour again. It speaks to Satan's character as a destroyer of life. What in the world does this have to do with Christmas? Verse 5 gives us a clue. John writes, she gave birth, this is the vision he saw, to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Notice those words are in quotation. It's because it's a direct connection to Psalm chapter 2, a prophecy from many years before that predicted that Jesus, the Messiah, would come, that he would rule with an iron scepter. And then these words, and her child... All right, the baby, Jesus, was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, what in the world is meant by that? Well, as we said earlier, Satan was hoping to destroy, to devour the child. But the writers of the New Testament tell us that after Jesus was born as a baby that first Christmas, that he would go on to live something like 33 years or so on this earth, living out his life as God's promised Messiah. He eventually died on the cross to pay the price of sins and to make a way back to God, which is tragic, all right, which is tragic that he died. But the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he didn't stay dead, that God raised him from the dead three days later to prove that he has power to conquer sin and to conquer death, and yes, even Satan. And then 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, the gospel writers Matthew and Mark and Luke, along with the apostle Paul, tell us that Jesus ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God and his throne, which is exactly what John is referring to in Revelation chapter 5. He's just given us the Cliff Notes version, really, of saying that Jesus was born, and then he was snatched up to God and to his throne. And if we keep reading, we discover that Satan's inability 
to destroy Jesus in that moment led to a war in heaven between God's holy angels and Satan's fallen demons. Let's pick it up in verse 7. We read, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent, again, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth, and his angels were hurled with him. And so note that while the war started in heaven, all right, again, this spiritual realm, what we're to take away from this is that it continues today. And it continues on earth. And John's vision in Revelation 12 is meant to help readers like you and me, readers then, but also us today, to understand that there is a powerful spiritual battle that is raging on the earth even today. And it began with Adam and Eve, all right, in the garden, the Garden of Eden, with the serpent and his temptation way back when. And the same serpent from Genesis chapter 3 has grown into an enormous red dragon by Revelation 12. Again, his name is Satan, which just simply means that he is the accuser, that he is always at work looking to accuse people and attack people. But he especially hates people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so what does he do? He wages his war against us. He wages his war. Look look at how he does this, verse uh, 13 to begin. It says, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Skip over to verse 17. It says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, which includes us, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Are you getting the picture at all of Satan's role and his motives? Satan couldn't defeat Jesus. And so he takes his anger out on us. And let me just stop there for a moment and say this. I know we've got a number of different people here tonight. Some of you are regulars at Genesis. Maybe you've got another church that you attend. Um, I know some of you, maybe you're here just because, you know, grandma said you want cheesy potatoes, you got to go to church tonight, and so you're here for those cheesy potatoes, but uh, maybe you're here because a friend invited you. I mean, maybe this is what you do every Christmas. I, I guess what I'm just saying is I realize we all come from different places spiritually. We all have different belief systems. We've all got our way that we're trying to piece together the purpose of life and what's happening in our world right now. Let me tell you what I see and what I believe, and how I see what Scripture reveals to us about life. Whether you choose to believe it or not, there is a spiritual battle that is taking place in this world that we can't always see, but sometimes it is so visible and so real to us in many different ways, but it's raging. It's raging around us all the time. I mean, there are battles that are taking place in your home right now. And in your relationships, whether that be a relationship with a spouse or an ex or a child, there are certainly financial battles that come up in life as we you know, feel the, 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 the pressure and as we worry about having enough. And uh, there, there are battles that enter into our lives mentally and questions that we're asking and pieces that we're trying to put together. There are health issues that you may be facing that all of us face in different ways. I, I guess just even when we don't see it, 
we face a dangerous enemy. Now, is it always the dangerous enemy's responsibility? No, probably not. Part of it is just the fact that we live in this broken world today, but probably more times than we like to realize or see, it's just understanding that there is also at the same time an evil force at work in this world and working through others. And while I, again, realize that this isn't the warm, fuzzy Christmas message that maybe we're probably hoping to hear tonight, Part of what I feel like the Lord wanted me to say to you is this, is that the reality is that life oftentimes feels like a battle. It can feel like a struggle, Christian or not, you know, no matter how you, you see yourself. This enemy opposes us. You know, the, this is the same enemy that Jesus faced while he walked on this earth as the man. And one of the reasons why we're going to take so much time in 2022 to study Jesus as a church family is because Jesus has so much to teach us about how to live life. And so if you've ever been curious about Jesus, if you've ever wanted to know more about the person of Jesus, we want to invite you to join us in 2022 as we're just going to study him together. And not only the things that he did, but how he lived and why he did the things that he did and how Jesus responded with things like pain, to, to, to issues like pain and, and fear and, and what Jesus has to teach us about forgiveness and, and grace and mercy and how to interact with others and how to keep up the faith when you don't feel like you've got anything left to give anymore and how to depend on God for all of your needs in this world. And the best news about Jesus is that his death and resurrection means that Satan is a loser. Kids, can you do the L with me on your forehead, right? He is a loser, all right? Adults, you can do it too, but he has already been defeated. The battle may continue for now. The good news for us as followers of Jesus is the victory has been decided. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, we read a song about the victory that we have through faith in Jesus, beginning in verse 10, when John writes, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. He says, they triumphed over him. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let's just stop here for a second before we close because this is so important. We live in a world that is consumed by things like fear and anxiety and death and hatred and division. It's a world filled with hate. There's hate towards one another and hate towards anything of God. That hate has a source, and the source of that hatred is Satan. And the book of Revelation reminds us that things are going to be challenging and difficult for those that hold on to their faith in Jesus Christ. But in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 that we read a moment ago, we're reminded as followers of Jesus of the important role we play when we choose to live out our faith when we choose to live like Jesus, when we love the way that Jesus loved, that these demonstrate our loyalty to Jesus, but secondly, our actions communicate a powerful message to an unbelieving world of what our God is really like. And then listen to how the song in Revelation 12, 12 ends. We read, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you, he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Here's the truth. Satan knows that he has been defeated by Jesus Christ. He knows that his time is limited, that Jesus is going to return one day, and he will destroy Satan and all of evil once and for all. But in the meantime, and we talked about this last Sunday here, as you and I live in the time 
between the times. Satan's goal is to wreak as much havoc as possible and to keep people from trusting God. And let's be honest for just a moment. Right now, it feels like Satan is winning. We live in a dark world where hope seems to be fading more and more every day as we deal with a pandemic that seems to have no end, with racial tensions between people, economic fears, political hostility, all of which are leading to a rise in mental health issues and increasing anxiety. Our world doesn't just feel dark. It is dark. And Satan does some of his most powerful work in the darkness. But the darkness shouldn't scare us. And the darkness shouldn't hold us back. Again, it's just a sign of the times. In fact, if you keep reading throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, you'll discover that things are going to get a lot worse before they start to get better. But the best part of the book of Revelation is the end. The best part of our Bible is at the end. It's a reminder of the day that Jesus returns. And he's going to come again as the king and king, a king of kings and lord of lords and all of his power and great glory. And he's going to restore everything that has ever been destroyed. And he's going to mend everything that has ever been broken. And in his own words, he, Jesus Christ, is going to make all things new. And so while it's easy for us to feel overwhelmed by the dark, Christmas is a reminder that Jesus is our light. And he is our hope. And he defeated Satan on the cross. And Jesus will come again to destroy him once and for all. But that doesn't mean that we're just stuck here with nothing to do. All right, it doesn't mean that we're here just holding out during our time. No, Revelation 12, 11 reminds us of the role we play until he returns. Because John says that we have triumphed. We have victory over him, over the evil one, over Satan. How? By the blood of the lamb. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that heals our wounds. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives us of our sins. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you too have the victory of new life in Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished on the cross. And then our role and responsibility is the word, the testimony that we live by. Basically, how do we triumph over him? How do we triumph over the darkness through Jesus, through the way we live, through the way we love, through our hope, through the way that we treat others. It is faithful loyalty to Jesus. When you came in tonight, you should have received a candle. I want to invite you to take that out right now. Kids, I know that you got a, a bracelet. You can take that out. I'm going to ask some friends to come join me right now. And in just a moment, somebody's going to come by your row and um, light a candle on the end. And I think you know the drill here. If you'll just pass that flame along to others. We're going to watch this room illuminate through the light.
if you are able, I'll invite you to stand uh, with us together. You know, we live in a world right now that feels pretty overwhelmed by evil and by darkness. But praise God that darkness is not the end of the story. And Christmas reminds us that Jesus came, that he came to save us. And John, the gospel writer John, who we're going to be studying in 2022, appropriately refers to Jesus Christ as the true light of the world, who comes to this world to bring life, to bring light. And the responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus to shine that light for others to see. And so one of the ways that we're celebrating Jesus' victory over darkness tonight is by reminding, lighting candles as a reminder of the light we've received, that you've received. And if you haven't received it yet, maybe soon, maybe it's time for you to believe. But we have the responsibility to shine the light for others because when we shine the light, we force the darkness out. We push the darkness back when we live by faith and hope and love for Jesus Christ. We pray with me. God, we thank you for your great love for us. That you demonstrated your love by sending your son Jesus Christ first as a baby, but then ultimately as a man who willingly gave his life on the cross. You raised him from the dead so that we could have life. Thank you for bringing light to this world and light to our lives. And I pray that tonight we will be reminded of the responsibility that we have as kids, as students, as men and women to be light for others for the name of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.